0: may have noticed this morning that I have titled the sermon this morning, It's Time to Reclaim Surrendered Ground. <clears throat> Excuse me. Did you know that the American Bible Society was started by an act of Congress, and John Adams, our second president, was president of the American Bible Society? Did you know that President George Washington said, It is impossible to govern the world without God or the Bible. Of all the dispositions and all the habits that lead to political prosperity, Our religion and morality are indispensable supports. Think about that. Do you know that in 1782 the United States Congress voted in favor of a resolution recommending and approving the Holy Bible for use in public schools? Do you know that the very first Supreme Court Justice, John Jay, said Americans should select and prefer Christians as their leaders? Did you know that every session of Congress begins to this day with a prayer by a paid preacher whose salary has been paid by the taxpayers since 1777? I don't know how we've gotten to this point, how we've slid backwards for some 239 years in this country, that all of a sudden these things are suddenly wrong and unconstitutional. It's time that we reclaim surrendered ground in America. Listen to a couple of these things about our churches. 20% of Americans every Sunday attend church. 80% do not. Between 2007 and 2014, the Christian share of the American population decreased by 8%. In 2007, it was 78.4% that said they were Christians. Today, only 70.6% say they are. You know, that's sad in and of itself, but this is even sadder that same period from 2007 to 2014, adults identify themselves as either atheists or agnostics grew. It grew by 6%. In 2007, 16% of our nation's, national population said they're atheists or agnostics. Today, 228 almost 23% say they're agnostics or atheists. Bringing a little closer to home, the denomination that we're associated with, the Southern Baptist Convention... Last year in the Southern Baptist Convention, 1,000 churches closed their doors. Also, one quarter of those churches, there's approximately 45,000 churches in the Southern Baptist denomination, a little bit more than that. One quarter of them did not baptize a single person. Out of those 45,000 churches, 60%, this is tragic, 60% baptized no children between the ages of 12 and 17. 60% of them. What's worse, 80% of those churches did not baptize a single young adult between the ages of 18 and 29. How sad. How tragic. It's time for us to reclaim surrendered ground. I want you to think about the families now for just a moment. 46% of children in America today live in a traditional family. Less than 50%, 46% live with both biological mom and dad. In 1960, it was 73% of the children in America lived with a traditional family. We've decreased 27% are now not living with their traditional family. 34% of the children today live with an unmarried parent. 1960, that was 9%. That's up 25%. I want you to hear these sad statistics, though, about children that grow up in a fatherless home, which many of them do. of the homeless, runaway children today come from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from a home with no father. 75% of our children that are in chemical abuse centers come from a home with no father. 63% of youth suicides come from a home with no father. 85% of all people in prisons today, 85% come from a fatherless home. 8% 8% of all rapists, no matter what age, come from a home where there was no father present. It's time for us to reclaim surrendered ground. Our scripture today is Joshua 7. If you have your Bibles with me, with you, turn with me, if you will, to Joshua 7, beginning with the first verse. Israel had to reclaim surrendered ground as well. They'd had a mighty battle and a mighty victory and a battle of Jericho wasn't much of a battle. It was just God's obedience that they followed. But the battle of Jericho, the walls came tumbling down because God saw fit that they come tumbling down. Now they're getting ready to take on a much smaller city, figuring, oh, this will be a piece of cake after what God did with Jericho. But we find all the difference here in the scripture we're going to read this morning. If you have your Bibles open to... um, Joshua 7, turn with me, if you will, to that, and we'll begin with the first verse. Stand with me this morning, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's Holy Word. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things, for Achan, the son of Carmi, and the son of Zabdi, the son of Zariah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out this country. So the men went up and spied out Ai. And they turned to Joshua and said to him, Do not let all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not worry all the people there, for the people of Ai are few. That's a huge mistake on their behalf right there. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, but they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from before the gate as far as Shebraim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore the hearts of the people melted and became like water. And Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until eating. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. Joshua said, Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all, not to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites, to destroy us? Oh, that we could have been content to dwell on the other side of the Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off our name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? So the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why do you lie thus on your face? Israel has sinned, and they have uh, have have transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they had even taken some of the accursed things and have both stolen and deceived, and they have also put among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies and turn their backs before their enemies, because they have become doomed to destruction. Neither will I be with you or any more, unless you destroy the accursed from among you. Get up, sanctify the people, and say, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, because thus says the Lord God of Israel, There is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away this accursed thing from among you. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Speak to our hearts this day, Father, in such a way, Lord, as we realize, Lord, that it's our watch, Father, that the things going on in our nation and our churches and our families today are our responsibility, Father. You've given us the victory already. Father, I pray today as we leave here, Father, we'd claim that victory, Father, and we'd each one to a man and a woman. Your promises, Father, but also stand on your truth in a powerful way, Lord, that we might take back our nation, our church, and our families for you. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. You ever notice the similarities between Israel and America? It's amazing as we study Israel more and more in the Old Testament, we realize Israel was blessed, incredibly blessed. So is America, though, blessed among all nations, more than all nations, ever. And yet, for whatever reason, we keep turning our backs on God. Israel turned their back, it's countable, 14 different times in the Old Testament. They just turned their backs on God and walked away, began worshiping everything else but God. God spared that remnant that saved them. And God, in spite of all the the idiosyncrasies, but all the the back-turning by the nation of Israel, delivered Israel in a precious way. God has blessed America. Yet isn't it amazing that we want nothing to do with God anymore? We don't want Him in our schools. We don't want Bibles to be taken to the public square. We don't want to put uh, the Ten Commandments on any walls. We don't want God to show up. Listen to this. We don't even want manger scenes in the city square on Christmas time. How sad. What's wrong with our people? What was wrong with the nation of Israel? The Bible clearly tells us, Blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. God has blessed our nation because it was founded and it stood for a lot of years on God. We put God first. And yet for whatever reason, we've allowed a few pagans in our nation here to take God out of the city square. We're all the Christians. We're all those people that realize that God made our nation strong. God made our nation great. God blessed our nation because we put God first. If you were to go back about 50 years and get a history book that was used in public schools, you know what? You'd notice if you compared it to one that's used today, it's totally different. It's nowhere even close. They don't want to put stuff in there like George Washington praying. They don't want to put in there that Stonewall Jackson was a great man of God. They don't want to put in there that Abraham Lincoln taught God over and over and petitioned God that he would deliver Abraham Lincoln as their leader through that war. Our nation was founded on godly principles. Our nation was founded because God was at the forefront of this nation. Our Founding fathers realize that without God, we're not going anywhere good. That only because of God that he's going to undergird this nation and bless this nation. Both the nation of Israel and the nation of America have turned their backs. So the similarities, similarities we're going to see in this story here are huge. I can tell you right now, I'll give you kind of an advanced text on the saying that we're going to see incredible sin, but we're also going to see a lack of obedience on behalf of Israel. And then we can draw the parallel, obviously, to America today. Notice that chapter 7 begins with but, the word but. Words used a lot in the Bible. But here it's talking about the fact that Israel had just experienced a phenomenal victory over Jericho. Unbelievable victory. I mean, this ragtag group of Israelites took down one of the strongest strongholds in all of Canaan. They didn't do it with weapons or bows or stones. They did it by marching around the the, the city of Jericho seven times. On the seventh day, marching around it seven times and then yelling and screaming and blowing trumpets. And the walls came tumbling down. They saw a great victory. But, that's where we start here. But the children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. Why don't you hear this? God told Joshua, before Joshua began making the first plans on how to take down the city of Jericho, he said, I've already given it to you. The victory is already yours. I've already, I've already given you the mighty men of Valor. I've already given the leader there and the king of Jericho. I've already given them to you. All you got to do is walk this plan. So God laid out his plan to Jericho. Walk around seven times. And on the seventh time, I can imagine Jericho sitting there saying, okay, guys, you know, I don't know if my generals is going to take this very well. I don't know if all my soldiers are going to, but, but we'll do that, God. So they got the whole nation of Israel to march around that city. The walls came tumbling down. God gave them the victory. He had one requirement after the victory. Normally when armies would conquer another army or another city, you know what happened? They'd take all the spoils and the guys could divvy them up among themselves. If they found a pot of gold, they got to keep it, the soldiers. That was kind of part of a bonus on their victory. But God said, listen... When you take down Jericho, all the bounty, all the treasures belong to me. I want you to bring them to me. And we're going to put them in the temple treasure. I get the first fruits of the battle of conquering the land of Canaan. Very simple request. I'm going to give you the victory. I'm asking you one thing. I want you to think about another time when God asked somebody to do something one time. Just one little thing. It was in the Garden of Eden. Remember that? God said, Adam and Eve, man, I, I love you. You're here because I created you in my image. And I'm so thankful that we have this relationship now. I'm giving this Garden of Eden. Look at this thing. It's so plush. It's the most beautiful place. You can't even begin to imagine how beautiful the Garden of Eden was. But he said, hey, I got one request. There's one little tree. See that one right over there? Do not eat the fruit from that tree. Please. Do not eat. I'm commanding you. Do not eat it. Everything else is yours. I mean, everything in this whole garden, this most beautiful place is yours. One thing. You know why he did that? He wanted to see if he could trust them. He wanted to see if they loved him so much they'd obey. We know the rest of the story there. They didn't. They couldn't. Of all the things they had there, they had to eat from that, just that one because why they were tempted by the enemy, by Satan. You know what happened to Ai? Achan couldn't obey one thing. But God's holding the whole nation of Israel responsible for one man's sin. God's saying, listen, you have sin in your camp and you didn't realize it. You need to get rid of the sin in your camp. I'm not going to go forward with you. I'm not going to be part of anything about this nation of Israel going forward. Also, you're not going to be able to stand against all the enemies as long as there's sin in the camp. You know what I believe God's telling us today? Get rid of the sin as best you can. We're all going to sin, fall of going. But he's also saying, walk in obedience. I've blessed you phenomenally in America, and really, you don't want to walk in obedience? You no longer want to have any part of me? Where's all those that are going to stand up and say, thus says the Lord? Where's all the people that are going to stand up and say, listen, you know, we're not going that way anymore. We're not going to accept this as part of marriage. We're not going to accept the fact that that's not a baby in the womb. We're not going to accept the fact that, Lord, we're going to transcend our bathrooms. Isn't that silly? It's sad and silly. The transgender movement right now individuals that are totally, totally mentally and spiritually confused. I'm not passing judgment. I'm just telling the truth. Are confused about what gender they are. Listen very carefully. You can sell this from the Word. God doesn't make mistakes. Okay? God does not make mistakes. Listen very carefully. If he made you be born as a boy, you know what? He intended you to be born as a boy. God doesn't make mistakes. But how silly and how sad for our nation today that because of a few confused individuals, and I, I say that with a broken heart. I, I pray that they get right. And they understand that God made them, and they're special. Fearfully and wonderfully made. God Made in God's image, and he doesn't make mistakes. But how sad that we want to transform the bathrooms now to accommodate these things. And the locker rooms, and where the kids take showers after PE, and showers after sporting events, and all these things. Why don't we just see how confusing we can make America today? It's so sad. It's so sad. Listen very carefully. God is not the author of confusion. Listen very carefully. God's not confused in heaven. God knows right from wrong. Why? Because he wrote it. He wrote the book on truth. Also, his son, what's his son's name? Truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am. I am truth. You want to know the truth? Read my Bible. Come to know my son, Jesus Christ, and you will know the truth. And what? The truth will set you free. You don't need to go through life confused about what gender you are. You don't need to go through life figuring out, is that really a baby in the womb? You don't need to go through life figuring out what is really marriage. God tells us the truth right here. It's the truth. But where are the people today saying this is the truth? You know, a lot of times, and this is sad for America today. America today, I think, kind of prides itself on diversity and being accepting and tolerant, that sort of thing. Yeah, we are a diverse nation. But there is a truth. And the truth is not tolerant. I want to tell you right now, if you go up on the roof of this building today after church and jump off, I can tell you right now the truth is intolerant. You're going to fall. It's gravity. It's called gravity. It's truth. You'll fall and probably hurt yourself and not kill yourself if you jumped off the pinnacle of this building. There's truth in this world. The truth is that Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. That Jesus Christ is... Truth. You know, we're going to see a lot of profound truths in the Scripture. I'm going to go through them kind of quickly this morning so you get them all. But um, in verse 1, it talks about the accursed thing. The accursed thing was that Achan took something that did not belong to him. What God wanted was it all. It's the principle of first fruits. What does that mean? That means God wants the first of everything. He doesn't want it all. He wants the first of everything. You may have remembered or studied the idea of the tithe. It talks about that in the Old Testament, but it also fulfills it in the New Testament. The fact that we're to give a tithe, that means 10%. That 10% belongs to God. And it's not just money we're talking about. He wants the first of everything in our lives. He wants the first of our talents, the first of our time. He wants the first of our service. He wants the first in our lives. What does that do? We give God the first fruits. It's reasoning and it's recognizing His provision that God gave it to us. God gave us everything. Some people sometimes feel like, you know, well, you know, my salary really? I, I'm the one that worked for it. Well, listen to this. Who gave you the ability to do that job? Who gave you the physical stamina every morning to get up and go do it? Who who provided that job to start with for you? Who who gave you that job? God gave it all to us. Give it all to us. And so everything we have is provided to us from God. And when we give back our first fruit, you know what that says? It it says that I realize, God, you gave this to me. I realize that you're providing for me. I realize, God, you provided yesterday, so I know that you can provide today. That's how I can know. Maybe even in the midst of losing a job. I realize, God, you got me my last job, so God, I'm trusting you get me the next job. And I believe personally because of the optimistic attitude I have because of Jesus Christ, it's going to be a better job. Might not be more money, might be. But I believe it will be a better job, that God is going to get the victory in my life. Let me ask you this. If you make $400 this next week in salary, how much belongs to God? I heard it. Yep, yeah, I heard somebody back there said, a lot of us think because of time, you're not wrong, $40. But actually, all that $40, all that $400 belongs to God. It's all His. You know what? All He's looking for is, hey, I just want 10%. I want you to realize that I gave you that $400. And I want you to give it back to me. I about this, too. And I don't know if you thought about this, too. And I, I know you weren't planning on hearing a stewardship message, and I'm not preaching one today. You probably think the pastor just working this in there. I'm not. It's the scripture. Finally, do you ever recognize that uh, only God can take 90% of your salary and do more than you can do with 100% of it? God can do more with 90% of what I have than I can do with 100%. Why? Because he's God. I've seen it personally. I was excellent. I, You know, put two kids through college and a third one halfway through college. There's, there's no rhyme or reason how that financially worked out in my life. I can add up my salary and the income that Amy provides and it doesn't add up. can't pay for all the current expenses and salary. But you know what? God did that. God can take more and do more with 90% than we can do with 100%. You know, verse one we just read speaks of the accursed thing. The accursed thing was something that did not belong to Achan, and he took it anyway. You know what? Our first fruits do not belong to us; they belong to God. If we believe in Jesus Christ, anything that we steal from God, anything that we take away that belongs to God, you know what? There can be a curse on it. He's saying it right here; it's a accursed thing. I'd much rather have. 90% of my income and God's blessings on it than 100% of my income being cursed by God because I'm not giving back to Him. Do you hear that? I'd rather have 90% with God's blessings than 100% without His blessings. It's time to recover and reclaim surrendered ground. We have an incredible opportunity this church. Because why? Because I, got, I believe God's Spirit's here. I believe there's people that are like-minded and like-hearted like you. They have broken and contrite hearts, and they want to see God make a difference in this world. And we haven't seen anything yet. You've heard me say that a lot, and I believe that with all my heart. But it's time to take a good look around and see the state of our church and the state of our nation and the state of our families. It's time we stop looking and begin doing. You know what the difference is between sympathy and empathy they both have kind of the same feeling. Sympathy is standing here or sitting here and saying, Boy, I feel bad about that. I feel sorry for that person or my heart breaks for that person what they're going through. Empathy is feeling that way but then going and doing something about it. I feel bad about this. I feel bad about what's going on in our nation. I feel bad about what's going on in my family or somebody else's family. I feel bad about what's going on at church. I'm going to do something about it. I'm no longer just going to sit back and be sympathetic about it. I'm going to get empathetic about it and begin doing something to make a difference. There's three reasons we can look at very quickly here for Israel's sin and their ultimate defeat in the story we just read. They're the same reasons that we have the problems in America today. Number one, it's pride, pride. The men that Joshua sent to spy out Ai came back and said, Hey, no big deal, don't worry about it. It's a small enemy. We don't have the problem. There's not a whole lot of people there. Proverbs 6.18 says, Pride grows before the fall. You know, anytime we begin thinking that we can do things in our own hands, that's when we're going to fall. When we take God out of the equation like we have in America in so many places, it's time for America to fall. You know what? This battle of Ai was Joshua's only defeat with the nation of Israel as long as he was commander. They had no more defeats. The defeat came because of pride, the lack of obedience. It's time for us to reclaim Surrendered ground. I want you to think about the church today. Answer these questions in your head. Are we enjoying as many victories today as the church as we did one day? We're still seeing victories. But I don't believe we've seen anywhere near that we can see. Are we still seeing people saved and delivered from sin as it used to be? No. In 2006, we saw 86 people. That was our biggest year. 86 people saved. Last year, we saw 41, about half that number. Do you know what? I don't think 86 was that great either. It was great for our church. That's Most churches, they put us in the top 2% of churches in the nation of baptizing when they had that year of 86 people. That's very sad too because there's a lot bigger churches and a lot bigger areas in our church. But there was 98% churches had less than we had that year. I was excited for our church, but you know what? What I believe the standard is, it says at the end of Acts chapter 2, That they were adding to the church daily. You know what that means? That they baptized and and saw at least 365 people. One person a day. More than that probably. But they saw 365 people get saved. I think that needs to be the standard for our church. That we want to see somebody get saved every single day. I'll tell you this story. Four years ago. Four and a half years ago. We had one service. It wasn't an ordinary service. God the Spirit was here. Ordinary pastor that day. Extraordinary music that day. But God's Spirit came down, and 19 people in that day got, got saved, changed their life, made a decision for Jesus Christ. 19 people. I was about ready to faint. It was just awesome. God's Spirit was here, and it was so thick. It was kind of glorious. It was like you couldn't, you couldn't almost worship because the, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit was so thick in here. I'm longing for those days again, that we see countless people walking forward. We see you bringing somebody every single day to church, every single Sunday. Are we seeing our church grow like we want it to grow? Are our families solid and secure? Are our young people growing? Are we in love with God more than we've ever been in love with God before? These are kind of piercing questions. Israel was defeated by a small enemy because there was sin in the camp. As a church, as a church body nationally, we've lost prayer in the schools. How did we do that? We've lost Bible reading in the schools. The church right now is suffering in a nation with a high moral standard has been lost. We've seen our nation redefine marriage. It's an oxymoron for them to do that, but they redefine marriage. We've seen the ruthless, brutal killing of babies in the womb. Sin is raging within the church today. You know, it's because we're treating, unfortunately, sin like a cream puff instead of like a rattlesnake. Sin is real. And I want to explain that for just a second. I believe most of us that call ourselves Christians and try to walk that Christian walk, I believe most of us do a pretty good job with the stuff we're not supposed to do. You know, we don't go out and rob. We don't lie or steal or some of these things. But I think kind of where we fall short sometimes is what we're supposed to do. Sins of commission is the things we do. Sins of omission are the things we're supposed to do that we don't do. Are we earnestly praying for each other, for our nation? Are we studying our Bible like our lives depend upon it? Are we studying our Bibles like we realize that all the answers to all life's problems are right here? Are we studying it like that? Are we living in such a way as we're pointing other people to Christ? Are we bold in our witness? Do we know our Bible well enough to stand up and tell the truth? The truth about what this world will be like if Jesus Christ takes over again in people's hearts. The first sin that Israel had, the first sin that America has, is pride. The second reason for Israel's defeat and the second problem we have is presumption. Israel assumed God was with them. Israel was resting on past accomplishments. You know, this is a great nation and, you know, we've, we've been blessed and we're Americans and all the things, so I'm just resting there. No. The American vision and God's visions are two separate things. God has blessed America because of His vision and us having our focus on Him. But there's two differences between the American vision and God's vision. God has a a vision that's much higher than the American vision. Just prosperity and doing well and some of those things that we realize that we have freedom here in America to do is good. It's provided by God, but God has something so much higher. But many times we want to rest, we presume that as long as I'm a good American, I'm probably a good Christian, too. A lot of people believe that being an American, unless you're a Muslim, unless you're Jewish, is being a Christian. They, they think it's the same thing? It's not. It's not the same thing. We are truly blessed as Americans. A lot of people think that uh, because I had victories yesterday, I'm going to have victories tomorrow. It's not true. I've seen many people have victories in the past, but kind of take their eyes off God, take their eyes off Jesus Christ, and no longer walk whether where they need to be walking, and then all of a sudden they're falling. President Garfield said this about 150 years ago. He says this, On the occasion of our nation's 100th birthday, in his centennial address to Congress in 1876, President James A. Garfield issued a warning while reporting at the press at that time. He said, Now more than ever, the people are responsible for the character of the Congress. If that body be ignorant, reckless, and corrupt, it is because the people tolerate ignorance, recklessness, and corruption. If it be intelligent, brave, and pure, it's because the people demand these high qualities to represent them in the national legislature. Then he added, if 100 years from now, the next centennial does not find us a great nation, it will be because those who represent this enterprise, us, the culture and the morality of the nation, do not aid in controlling the political forces. We have a major responsibility in our political welfare here. Number one thing is the vote. We talked about that before. We need to get out and vote. The third reason for Israel's defeat and sin was prayerlessness. Israel was prideful. They had presumption, and they were prayerless. Joshua didn't pray before he took down Ai. Didn't pray to God, didn't talk to God before they took down Ai. I want you to hear this about prayer. All yours and my failures are because of prayer failure. Did you hear that? I believe that, love my heart. All our failures are prayer failures. How can you say that, Pastor? I'm saying because maybe you're going in the wrong direction. You hadn't been praying about it enough, and God's telling you, don't go there. Or maybe God's saying, it's not going to work out the way you planned, but I got better plans for you. Or maybe after you fail, you're realizing I'm defeated and I'm hopeless. God's saying, no. I'm still here. i got a better plan for you. i got something that you're going to really, really like. Do I believe God can save America? I do 100%. But he's going to do it with us on our knees. We can save America if we get serious about getting on our knees and praying for our nation. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... I will hear from them. I will forgive their sins and heal their land. God has a great plan for life. He's given us a solution. It's right there. I believe with all my heart if God's people in America, his people, the Christians, people who call themselves, follow Jesus Christ, got serious about praying every day with fervency, we'd see this nation begin to change. We'd see things happen that we can't explain but for God. God wants to change our nation. Verse 13, if you have your Bibles out, God is telling Israel... To sanctify themselves. God's telling them by sanctifying themselves to set yourself apart for me. Make a difference between you and the world. Focus on me. Have a single focus on me today. He says in verse 13, get up, sanctify the people and say, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow. Because thus says the Lord God of Israel, there is an accursed thing in your midst. O Israel, you cannot stand before your enemies until you take away this accursed thing from me. Verse 12, we won't read it, but there he says that he can't be with them. I can't be with it. But also, your enemies are going to totally defeat you if you do not get rid of this accursed thing. Think about what's happening in America today. God's still here. But I believe God's getting ready to take his hands off more things. Think about all the things that have happened in the last 20 years, 50 years. Where God could have prevented it. And I believe God's trying to get our attention. Let me ask you this this morning. What's your heart like? Really. If you look in the mirror, what is your heart really like? Is your heart like God's? Do I have a heart like God? Do the things that break God's heart break my heart? Do I see things from God's perspective and have compassion and love and patience and kindness and gentleness towards other people? When people describe me or they're describing the fruits of the Spirit, that person is just like Jesus. I love that when people say that about different people. And I agree. They are. They're living their lives in a great way. Very quickly in conclusion, there's six things that we can do to reclaim centered ground. First of all, trust God again. Put God back where he belongs in the story of your life. I'm trusting God for all things. I believe God can fix these things. I believe God can correct these things. He can heal my family. He can heal this church. Next of all, get busy serving him. That's huge. Get busy serving him. What am I doing with what I got for the glory of God? Am I doing anything? Am I just a spectator or am I actually in the army? It's time for all people that call themselves Christians to get out of the audience and get into the army. Revisit yesterday's victories. A lot of times we face defeat and we don't have the victory at the end because we forgot about the past victories. It's great for us to put those down as memorials in our life. That God gave me a victory yesterday, why wouldn't he give me a victory today? Number four, resolve not to make the same mistakes twice. I didn't know that Albert Einstein was one that said this initially or gets credit for saying it, but I've said it a million times. I've heard it. Insanity, you know, the definition of insanity is Albert Einstein's definition, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. I need today at the beginning of this new year to decide, you know, it's going to be a different year for me and God. I'm going to grow closer. I'm going to put him back on the throne of my life. I'm going to see God do great things in my life. Why? Because he wants to, but also I need that in my life. I want my life to count for something important instead of the, just the pettiness in life. I want it to be important. Number five, let God lead you again. That's self explanatory, but really, many people going down the wrong roads looking for answers to questions, and they're not letting God lead them. Number six, participate in the battle again. Had a friend of mine from Grove Avenue Baptist Church. Never expected this, Adam, but he wrote an editorial to the author, or wrote an editorial to the paper. Name's Kinsitis. The. Uh, Title of his article, Did Jesus Pack Heat? And you know, I thought that was kind of interesting. Did Jesus pack heat? And, um, you know, he defends the thought that Jesus did because, obviously, he had all power. But he says this. He quoted Luke twenty-two thirty-six. Jesus said to them, But now he who has money, a money bag, let him take it. And likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and go buy one. God was talking to his disciples, telling them, Listen. You're operating in enemy territory. You're behind enemy lines. You need to be strong and courageous. You need to be bold. And if it costs your life, so be it. Because I want complete sacrifice. God has not called upon Americans here in America to give their life. But would we be willing to? Would I be willing to lay down my life for Jesus Christ? He laid his down for me. Am I willing to surrender all? You know, a lot of times, think about this. Not stepping on your toes because you're here today. But how many people won't lay down Sunday mornings and go to church? They've got all other kind of activities. You know, I've heard this over and over. It's my only day to rest. Well, come to church and rest in God. Let Him restore your soul. Let Him give you what you need to face the next week. All kinds of other activities. You've heard them as well as I have. But God is a jealous God. God is not going to continue to keep His hand upon America if we continue to turn our back on Him. And I believe it's time for us as Americans, especially followers of Christ, to go on the offensive We've kind of felt like we're playing the defense for a long time, but listen, we haven't won the game by playing the defense. We haven't done a very good job playing the defense. It's time for Christians to say, we're going on the offense and we're going to proclaim with all that we have, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. No more going backwards in America. We're going to stop the backwards progression. We're going to start going forward. Start making a difference one person at a time. Joshua got the victory in Ai. The same way he got the victory in Jericho. He put God first. He prayed to God. He stopped presuming things and he also began to stop living in pride. It says in Joshua 8 verse 1 now the Lord said to Joshua do not be afraid do not be dismayed take all the people of war with you and rise up and go to Ai. See I have already given you into your hand the king of Ai his people the city and his land. God gave Jericho the vi- Gave Joshua the victory. You know what? God's given you the victory today as well. He really has. I believe America is at a crossroads today. But I believe with all my heart that 2016 can be a very defining moment for America and for a church and for your family. That God wants to show up. God gets no glory out of defeat. I'm here to tell you, defeat in your family, defeat in the church. thousand churches, Southern Baptist churches last year closed. He gets no glory in defeat. He's called his church to be victorious. He's called your family and your marriage to be victorious. You know, a lot of us kind of get wrapped up in the politics. and I I watch a little bit too, but both sides pretty much um, have let me down. I want you to know this morning it's not about left or right. It's not about left or right. It's about up or down. I'm going up and I want to take as many people as I can with me. I'm going up and I want to bring glory to God. I'm not going down. I'm not going backwards. I'm not going left or right. I want to go up. That's where I feel that God's taking us to the church. biggest threat to America today is not radical Islam. It's a threat. The biggest threat to America today is nominal Christians. You know what the definition of an ineffective Christian is? It's a silent, a silent Christian. We can't be the Christian God's calls us out to be by being silent. It's long past time for the silent majority to stand up and proclaim that there's only one God in heaven, and he has a son named Jesus Christ, and he's coming again. It's time to reclaim surrendered ground in our families, in our church, and in our nation.